I'm Steph and welcome to the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. I am actually recording this from Watergate Bay uh, down in Cornwall with Doug. He's just gone to park the car. You might be able to hear the sound of waves in the background. Um, oh, it is. It's sunny. The journey down here was raining, but it is now sunny. Uh, it's, we've just had our 14 year wedding anniversary and we've come back to where we met. It wasn't exactly here because we met in a sweaty club called Sailors in Newquay, but we thought this would be a bit nicer. Um, and yeah, there have been some tense words leaving the house. <laughs> leaving is so stressful. Getting the kids all dropped off, trying not to leave the house a total shit show for the grandparents. But we're here. We listen to some podcasts and stop for snacks and it actually it was 250 miles but with no children it's pretty breezy isn't it so yeah ah, breathe but anyway father's day is coming so please have a look at don'tbuyherflowers.com for excellent gifts for dads and granddads and this is the last guest in our series of fatherhood um, guests and we're going out with a bang with matt coin aka man versus baby matt writes and talks about fatherhood and also often goes viral with spot-on observations about parenthood and a bit of politics thrown in um and matt just has very funny bones you'll hear me guffaw quite a lot we've met quite a few times and i think it's the dry northern sense of humor that he has but also as a stay-at-home dad matt has empathy for mums i don't think you see from the usual dad blogger types he's not trying to compete with mums he's really aware that mums and dads are different and the social expectation on mums is different so we talk about that um, but also he's not afraid to tackle tackle subjects that generally men avoid sharing views on especially he has a very public forum so oh Doug's just come in they've delivered a nice bucket nice. I'm just recording this um yeah, so we'll get to the episode. This episode is sponsored by Cocoso Baby, who have created the highest quality organic coconut oil. It is awesome, a really versatile product. And the founder, Lauren, developed it when she was looking for a natural solution for babies' sensitive skin, for her baby. Um, but we sell it in packages that don't buy her flowers. And it's especially popular in our pregnancy package and the 0-3 kids package. So you can always go and have a look at that. But thank you to them. And um, right, let's talk to Matt and Doug. Maybe you could crack open that Prosecco. <laughs> I've got my washing in the background. Oh, so. nice. I've just moved my acoustic guitar so I don't look like a twat. <laughs> <laughs> Can you play it, though, is the question. Not really. Or does it... No. I used to play it a long, long time ago, back when uh, I was desperately trying to, trying to get a girlfriend. But now... Uh... Now I've got a girlfriend. I don't need to play it so much. <laughs> it works, though. The sl- slide away at three o'clock in the morning at a party. I think it does. A bit of four non-blondes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's one of Doug's. <laughs> Can't believe you know my that's repertoire. One of, <laughs> it's one of Doug's. When I first met him, he lived in Italy. He flew me out to see him. It was very grand. And... He was playing rugby in a place called L'Aquila and it was like in the super tent, so it's quite high standard. And we walked through the street and this these people in a like little taverna type thing called him in holding a guitar aloft <laughs> and like a bottle of red wine. And Doug starts playing the guitar. I didn't even know he could play the guitar. We'd literally just met and he flew me. It was That's a bit bluesy-ish. It was a bit risky. Well, it was really weird, but in the town, they were the rugby players were kind of like celebi. So, yeah, it was just bad. That's so smooth. That's I know, so much better than yeah. uh, me meeting Lids in my local pub and buying her a snake bite. 
Anyway, Matt, I wanted yes. to talk to you because obviously you have made a living, you're making a living out of talking about being a dad and writing about being a dad. And what did you used to do? I was a really, really bad graphic designer. <laughs> I was the worst That's graphic it. designer in Yorkshire. And uh, I packed toilet <laughs> rolls for a bit as well. And I've always been kind of crap at whatever job I did until I, did, until I started doing this one. And uh, I, I'm convinced it's just because I like it. Yeah, I'm convinced if you just do a job that you like, that's that's so hard to do. It took me until, what was it, 44, until I found a job that I liked that actually paid me money. So I'm just going to milk it for all it's, <laughs> all it's worth. Now. Yeah, keep going. Well, I know. What happens when Charlie's, because you've got Charlie who is six? Six now, yeah, yeah. So what happens when he's like 24? I mean, just <laughs> keep going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I might have to change man versus baby. To something else, but yeah. I'm hoping by that point I'll be able to put him to work. I mean, I'll be virtually retired yes. by then, so he, he kind of needs to be yeah. looking after me at that point. That's when I really cash right. in everything I've done for him. I mean, I mean people talk to me all the time about calling it man versus baby. Now, clearly, mm. I wasn't expecting it to last very long, this. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have called it something <laughs> that wasn't so, so you know, time sensitive, if you know what I mean. Because mm. obviously, he's not a baby anymore. So I honestly didn't expect it to last this long. So I don't know what happens after this, really. I'm kind of trying to branch out a little bit with the with the writing. And it's a lot harder to write about uh, kids in the same way when uh, it, the thing about babies and toddlers is there's kind of generic things about them. Whereas the lot, when yeah. it wants to get to sort of five and six in school, they very much become their own their own sort of person. And I, tr- I try yeah. to avoid writing specifically about, about Charlie. For, for one, I don't think it's particularly yeah. fair on him, but, but I, I also think it's, uh, unless it's generic, it's not funny. You need to be able to see see something of yeah. your own of your own kids in it. So at the end of Man versus Toddler, the last book, virtually the last thing I say is that uh, I don't think I'm going to be writing a book about me and Charlie again until the point at which he wants to or he decides to write it himself or whatever. Um, and you've written about the Jubilee. Can we talk about? Oh, okay, watching that scene <laughs> or various scenes on the balcony with Prince Louis. Come on, what's yeah, your take on that, Matt? I mean, well, he was the, he was the star of the show, weren't he? Really, and I thought yeah. it was a, I thought yeah. it was a beautiful thing. I thought it was a fantastic thing to be able to see that it doesn't really matter what your station is and how much money you've got and how many palaces and whether you've got a, a hat that costs eighteen million pounds or whatever. It's just uh, we're all in exactly the same boat because four-year-olds do not give a shit. Like, there's a lot of talk about toddlers and teenagers and that age, and I've said this before, but Frank's four and. He would have done like all of the things, the pushing you in the face. The, yeah, Frank's favourite at the moment is just if I'm trying to tell him off, he just stands in my face and goes, You're boring. <laughs> <laughs> which is a re- which is a review and a critique at the same time as being an artist. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a terrible thing. It's everything. You're going, I'm, I'm trying to be a bit more interesting here, Frank. <laughs> I mean, but just when you're about to start but... recording a podcast and it's you're boring. Yeah. Oh, am I? Oh, am I? Boring. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah, I, I thought I was someone. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Louis, I mean, imagine being in a situation where all your tools and tactics you've got to either distract Can't or, use. I mean, remove all those. I have absolutely no idea what to, what Charlie had done it for. He would have destroyed the place. No. I mean, absolutely destroyed the place. Imagine so, if she had pulled out, though, like a pack of Pombe, a box of raisins. <sighs> Parents everywhere would have just been like... Hallelujah, had she. Well, I did see I'd... a clip where she did get him on her knee at one point, and I thought, oh, good, because I hadn't seen that in most of it. And I was like, that's what you would have had to do. 
wrestle with. Yeah, completely. There was quite a nice bit as well where he where he ran over to uh, to Prince Charles and jumped on his knee. Kind of thing. And you kind of you kind you kind of well that's kind of what grandparents are for. So that's the closest thing to a real parenting situation whereby they're kicking off and you just go a grandparent and boom. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was that yeah. was quite natural and, and real. But I uh, I posted about it a couple of times this week and um you had a run in straight away with a fella on Facebook who was like, This is the problem with the world, tablets. You know, because I I'd essentially put that without without um putting a tablet in Charlie's hands at that point, he would have basically it's you know the place would have burnt to the ground, but he um but this fellow was like this is a problem with the world. Why why would you not give them a script? Like not all the time, no. But come on. As with all things, I think there's a, there's a balance in there, and I think in order for a child to grow up balanced and happy or whatever, the most important thing is that the parent is not losing their fucking mind all the time. Like I used to worry a little bit about putting a tablet in front of Charlie when we're having a meal out or whatever, that ju- the judgmental stares of that line. I mean, I got over it very quick, <laughs> very quickly because I realised that me and Lynn's can have a, a conversation for half an hour if yeah. he's got a tablet in front of him with a meal. I don't really care what anybody else thinks about that because I do know that he's, he's well-loved, he's well-adjusted and he's going to turn out okay. Like So... The, the idea that there, there are these people though who do sit online and, and look for things to, to judge like that, and they they often have uh, have a nostalgic idea of what parenting used to be. Statistically, it's not supported that these kids grow up to be monsters just because they have an hour on the tablet while you're having your lunch or whatever. So um, until until such point as well, uh, which they tell me that it's a that it's a really dangerous or terrible thing, then I'll just do, I'll do what you do what you want to do. Yeah, yeah. And what what's been Charlie's biggest public meltdown? Can you remember any particular oh God. dreadful? <laughs> he used to have these tactics. That was that was another thing that I thought about the uh, the Prince Louis thing. That they the kids are smart. They know how to behave in public to, to get to get their attention, yes. to get your attention, and to and to get exactly what they want in public. And it's very very different because they notice that you. You have a bit of a sing song to your voice, don't do that, sweetheart, and all that sort of stuff that you don't necessarily have at home. And so they spot that straight away and they take advantage of it. And Charlie was an absolute shit for doing that. You know, if you're trying to get him out of a park or anything like that, the one thing he used to do is to shout, Help, help, if you try to pick him up and take him out of anywhere. Now, when you're a dad on your own with your kid and he's shouting, Help, help, as you've got him under your arm, trying to take him out. And he used to shout, He's grabbing me, he's grabbing me. And the worst one was, he used to shout, uh, Where's my daddy? I want my daddy. When I'm the one picking him up. Oh, God. Now, that is. Oh, man. A number of times I had people looking at me as if to say, This is a fairly brazen kidnapping. It's a savage indictment, actually, that no one actually stopped. Broad daylight. I mean, at that yeah. point, that's the worrying was, bit. Yeah, it is a little, especially when you chuck him in the car and then drive off at speed, and no one, no one gives a shit. They're partly because the no. other parents in the park, so they sort of get it. If you know, if you know what I, mean. I do remember one time at this uh, uh, our local open farm in Cannon Hall, there was this goat fast asleep next to the the railings or whatever. It it just wanted to grab its grab its testicles basically goat's got quite a big nuts and uh it oh, put his arm right. to try and grab the grab the, this goat's gonads while i was sleeping and uh i insisted that he couldn't and he absolutely melted down about not being able to grab this grab this goat's uh, testicles basically <laughs> he just rolled around in goat shit or whatever else was on the floor <laughs> demanding to grab this goat by the nuts and uh yeah, in the end, go on then, one sweet, one squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not saying I give in all the time. It's when they get really set on something and you're like, if I battle mm-hmm. against this, this a four-year-old could go for hours. We had a, some curtains going up in Frank's room just before <laughs> bedtime. I went, oh, we've got these new curtains, Frank, like for his room. And he was like, I want them up now. And done. <laughs> bloody drill wasn't charged and any any kind of DIY takes quite a bit of time you know like a bit of prep he has to get his tool belt on it's, it's, it's yeah <laughs> you know um but he went on and on and on about these coats he was so livid and then the next night we completely forgot until bedtime just before bedtime we'd had a couple of drinks so Doug had to put them up <laughs> because we couldn't do he got the drill out <laughs> Yeah, we couldn't put them, we couldn't not put them up. But then the next morning, I was like, "Oh, how are your new curtains, Frank?" He's like, "Boring, just open and close." <laughs> <laughs> that's what curtains do. But it's what. But that's the thing, isn't it? It must be. What is it like? The psychology of it. It's like something that they're they're testing boundaries. They've got their headset on something. I don't know. But oh I mean, God. I guess. But I think you've probably hit on something there, though. That it is basically probably the terrible twos with stamina once you get to like four yeah. they've got that yeah. they've got that staying power and uh you can't they, yeah. they, often, they just can't be dissuaded from from doing some random shit with the four like i mean it's kind of what this no i guess it's what they're supposed to do but it is really yeah. infuriating and stressful in public what about holidays can i just mention your um it was a tweet i think it was the whole buying of twitter elon musk scenario all right, right. someone said what would you do with 44 billion? Do you know what you're, can you remember your response? You said two weeks self-catering at Centre Parks in Germany. <laughs> right. <laughs> what about travelling abroad and kids? Yeah, that, I mean, it gets a bit easier. We went when Charlie was just a, maybe six months old or something like that. And that is, that is hard work, I think. That whole thing about uh, upsetting other people on the plane, I didn't, that didn't really particularly bother me. I, I understand why it does other people but and especially if you're on like a long haul i think that would be a, a problem like we just went to cyprus so yeah the whole rigmarole of how much stuff you've got to take and the whole making sure they don't burst into flames because it's so hot and you have to apply suntan lotion every fire so it's just a lot and it, yeah I, as a taking a baby I, I i did write a lovely post wait the post finished lovely about how it was, uh, it was life changing and magical, like you know what I mean. And I've probably made most of that. Up. <laughs> it, it was, it was mostly hard <laughs> Looking work. Looking back, <laughs> yeah. I think it's that first one, that first one where you're like, wait a minute, holidays used to involve lying down, yeah. a drink at midday, yeah. maybe. It is so dramatically different that that first one I think you just come back I think you can see them on the plane the people just sitting there looking like shell-shocked <laughs> and a bit sad like Fuck, what was that and I, and I paid to do that I could have been at home where at least I've got all my nappy bags and all that stuff it is a real shock if you if you're accustomed to like holiday where you literally do nothing whatsoever which I was before yeah it was hard work I mean that's not to say there wasn't you know beautiful moments in it and it and, and I'm yeah, so glad yeah. we did it it's just a, it's a proper punch in the nuts that it's just a sudden realization think, that it's not on holiday anymore, is it? Not for a little while. And I think I said this before, but Doug once came back from one holiday and cried because, because <laughs> it was the first one that felt like a holiday. I think maybe because Buster and Mabel were really close in age, so I think maybe they were three and five or four and six or something like that. And he he came back and he can said he can remember walking to work and just like a couple of tears because he was like. Oh, that, that that was a holiday. Like we we survived those first few years. 
Just like, oh God, reducing a grown man to tears. I wonder if that's an advantage of having 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 siblings, especially ones that are that are close together, because I don't get five seconds. <laughs> but you do look like you've got an amazing relationship with Charlie, because you, and you're a stay-at-home dad. But I wanted to ask you, what is that like? As in, lots of people have opinions on. I mean, everyone's got an opinion on everything to do with parenting, but as a stay-at-home dad and the portrayal and stuff in, I'm thinking of like in Motherland, where there's the really wet guy who's the stay-at-home dad. Is either someone who's a bit buffoonery and useless? Or really wet. I mean, where do you fall, Matt? <laughs> <Which one are> you? <laughs> I'm kind of a wet buffoon. I kind of cover all yeah. bases. Cover all bases. Perfect. Charlie is my best friend, and and that is kind of wet. But uh, that is this kind of an inevitability to how much time we spend together. But um, you're right about stay at home dance. There's not that many of us knocking around, and uh, no. so it's hard. It, it's hard to portray what one is like when they, when I think the, the last stats was something like. It's six or seven percent stay at home mums to stay at home. Uh, it's stay at home dads to stay at home mums. If you see what I mean, so right. it's quite kind of difficult to pin down what a stay at home dad is like. I'm basically um, I, I I meet other stay at home dads, and they do tend to fall into those two categories. Really, they are either buffoons, uh, kind of stumbling their way through things, and I'm kind of more like that. I get. I sometimes worry that I portray that a little bit too much, the idea of a daddy who doesn't really know, know what they're doing. But in my case, especially when Charlie was like uh, really young, that was just true. I just didn't really know what I was doing. And you kind of le- learn as you go. I was an idiot, mm. basically. And when I look back, kind of deliberately so, I'd avoided finding out anything about babies before he was born, for example. I kind of buried my head in the sand about what a baby was going to be like and then what a toddler was going to be like. And it's made it more of an adventure. adventure but I've been kind of uh, gone from stumbling through that buffoonery to get to the stage where I, I, I kind of know what I'm doing a little bit more. The wet type of stay-at-home dads are just as annoying as the as the mums who know everything, basically. They're the ones yeah. who are, uh, you know, the uh, teaching how to put a sarape on and all that sort of stuff, and they're, uh, you know, giving you giving you advice that you don't ask for and stuff like that. So those sorts of wet stay-at-home dads are exactly the same as I'd imagine you come across amongst mums who are desperate to tell yeah. you how to do things and desperate how to. It's funny because I suppose women, like it's this whole sort of supermum myth. We had a um, Dr. Caroline Boyd, and she talked about the supermum myth, and it's like women feel that they have to be perfect at it, like they've got to get it right because this is our role that we've always done, and we mm. like there's this expectation. But actually, most of us are buffooning it as well, and I think that's where you've got your Sarah Turner. I know he's a great mate, and like Brummy Mummy and there's all these people who have written about motherhood in a way of going I don't know what I'm doing or I've kind of messed that up and I forgot the stuff and went out and and there was so many people loved it because it was different to this oh and I like crafting and then we made our macrame whatever which there's very few women probably actually doing that. It's very different for uh, for dads and for moms in that regard because but obviously I, I was taking Charlie to baby sign language and baby swimming and baby yoga or oh, waste of time. That was, I came out of baby sign language after 10 weeks of sitting in a damp church hall in the middle of winter. I was supposed to be teaching him how to um, ask for milk. And uh, by the end of it, I was teaching Charlie how to um, ask to ride a tractor because I was doing the, the drinking thing too wrong and uh, how to go bowling. So by 10 weeks and about, I don't know, 70 quid, I taught my, my eight-year-old how to ask to go bowling on a tractor. 
that was about well, eight months about old. Yeah, yeah, about as useful as that. But but going back to what you said about how different it is for for dads as for moms in those situations in particular, the pressure for moms to turn up at those things, you know, with a face full of makeup and their head and looking vaguely like they've like they've not been up since you know all night with a yeah. baby. Yeah, I was virtually uh, lauded for basically turning up, holding him the right way up. Oh, isn't he a great? Isn't he a great dad? You know what I mean? He's turned up. You yeah. know what I mean? And he's and he's yeah. holding the baby the right way up. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's great. It's yeah, great. I'm doing the bare sorry, minimum. Say that again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but after doing it for a while, and you get to meet your your mum mates, and you realise kind of uh, what they're really going through, and I'm and I'm kind of sitting sitting in one corner of the coffee table trying to en- engage in a conversation about mastitis or being whatever <laughs> and I've and I'm kind of out of my depth but it gives you a certain appreciation for it's very different for moms as for dads regardless of whether I'm stay at home or not very different and it is that yeah. expectation it's completely completely different yeah and also I think that it then gets validated because you've got everyone around you going oh my god that's amazing so I think for lots of men you don't need to go any further. So you don't need to think about all the other shit that women tend to think about if you've been praised so much because you're so much better than perhaps your dad. I mean, I know you've said your dad was like a Victorian dad. Yeah, super. It, well, it was super traditional. It was probably of a generation that um, that was, uh, you know, more likely to be smoking a cigar outside a delivery room than being inside. I'd, I, yeah. I don't think he'd, he'd never have changed a nappy or anything like that, for example. So in a way, that gives me a certain amount of sympathy for, for dads being the way that they are, for us being kind of buffoons and all that sort of stuff. The yeah. knowledge about how to bring up a baby is kind of being passed down the passed down the female line. And uh, and it, yeah. we're kind of like a, a frontiersman in that way, in that we're not really, it's not really being passed down in this in the same way. There's lots of signifiers in society to say that it is a mum's job and not a not a, not a dad's job, and oh, things, constantly. I mean, something as simple as like it's mum's net. It's made for mums. It's net mums. It's not net parents. It's it's literally just the sign above the door says says mums. When actual fact, it's yeah. about nine, nine times out of ten the poster about parenting. Uh, I mean, not all of them. The first time I went onto Mum's Net looking for something about cradle cap or whatever, I was greeted by like posts about is it uh, uh, fanny condensation and things like that. And I thought maybe this Wait, is not what? for me. This place. What? <laughs> What's fanny condensation? I don't know. I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> but the implication of all that is is so much bigger. Like what it's been really interesting talking to different people about this kind of rush hour that I describe that we're in, where there's men and women that in our generation are kind of have learned from our parents and we've got certain expectations except for that we also have completely different expectations of what we can achieve Career, what we can yeah. be and what we want to do yeah and so the two don't marry up and so if you've got everyone kind of we're a bit stuck with going oh well the men are kind of these buffoons and it's just great if they will babysit their children and the women still have to kind of be superheroes or whatever and do all the stuff it leads to massive I know it did for me and Doug leads to massive conflict because you both want something different to what you're kind of doing but you don't know how to get there it's going to take legislation as much as as anything else I know that's kind of like a a hammer to crack a nut and all that sort of stuff Mm. the only advice I would ever give any dad is if you can get that paternity leave and you can spend that time with your child as a baby, just spend as much time as you can you possibly can during that period because it gives you a massive insight into uh, into mm. how difficult 
it is. And it's not good enough to turn around and say, well, you've had the baby all day. Well, I've been at work all day. That's been the typical sort of get out of jail card. Yeah. And uh, once you've tried both, it doesn't wash because I would have much preferred to go to work on certain days rather than be at home. And uh, I know Lindsay would yeah. be in the same same position whereby she's been at work and had much preferred to, to be at home instead of, instead of being at work. So I remember speaking to a friend whose husband had done paternity leave and I think the baby was maybe six months and then they did a swap and he did three months. And she was like, the insight he got was incredible. Yeah. And he, until he did that, he just couldn't know because you can't. And I no. think that that causes that massive divide. That's it. I don't want to generalise about dads or whatever. But one of the worst things I find is that it comes as a shock when you find yourself in that situation at the weekend or when you go away on holiday for a week. You have to build up some sort of resilience. And and by spending time with your baby and, and spending time with it, that builds up a certain amount of resilience because otherwise you'd go mad. It's just blow. So the, the shock of being at work and speaking to adults, no matter how tough your job is, there's a certain relief in speaking to grown-ups. I see it in my mates all the time that they sometimes have less patience with their kids yeah. when they're going to eat weekend or we're going on holiday together or whatever. There's some, sometimes a level of patience that isn't there just because they haven't had the, built up the resilience of spending so much time with these creatures. Or sometimes they, uh, they don't have that uh, ability to switch off their embarrassment in public quite so easily. I've yeah. seen my mates kind of like really struggling with the fact that their kids are embarrassing them. Well, you kind of have to get used to that because they're going to. I think yeah. the parent then is more firm with the kid and the kid sees that and just goes off their tits. And then ev- everything is like 10 times worse because then the partners are going, can we just leave it? Please? Oh, it's like, it's like what do your mates think of what you do? <laughs> I mean, they're deeply unimpressed. <laughs> not... I'm quite lucky, really. My mates don't care what I do in the same way that I don't care what they do. It's quite a nice thing. We kind of get together and we just uh, we just have a laugh and work and what you do, you know, outside of when you're having a pint or whatever just doesn't really doesn't really come up. To be honest, I'm I'm looking that in that way as well. My closest mates are just great uh, great dads as well. They're really, really their kids are a lot older than than mine now. They all had their kids when they were like thirty and stuff in their twenties. Uh, it's kind of weird, you know, when you're pushing pushing Charlie around a local shopping centre. And uh, I'd bump into a mate of mine from school and I'd be like, oh, this is my little one. And they'll be like, oh, this is my little one. And there's like a 20-year-old bloke stood next to him and just <laughs> come from rugby practice <laughs> or whatever. But I'm really looking in that way. They're, I just have a really good good bunch of mates. They bend over backwards for the kids and they, they'll, they'll do whatever whatever they can for, for their family. So they're really, I'm really lucky like that, I think. But, and do you think it's changing? You're on a podcast, The Lightly Dads, which I think is BBC Sounds, and you've got... Was it Tim Vincent and Russell Kane and Johnny Vegas? Great lineup. But and then you've got like the Parenting Hell podcast, which is really popular. So it's quite interesting that these that's obviously shedding a different light on dad. So maybe that is part of the change where it becomes sort of socially acceptable to be talking about your kids rather than children should be seen and not heard. And I, you know, and dad is completely distant from what their kids are doing and the funny bits of it as well, which is kind of the key bit isn't it because well if you don't laugh you're crying because it's, it's exhausting so it feels like that's changing it definitely is although when i originally started writing uh, uh, dummy and man versus toddler the idea was that these would be marketed to dads for father's day and stuff like that and uh, the vast majority of people who, who buy them are mums not dads. Mm. Uh, the vast majority of people who follow me on online are mums rather than rather than dads. So it's still quite a mm. 
still quite a tough crowd to get at, mm. um, and it's still twi- it's it's still not something that that comes up uh, naturally in conversation as much as I think it, it probably does does with mums. But it, it's changing. But it, it, it's like I said, there's an awful lot about uh, about a site that says that the parenting is for mums, not for dads, and yeah. dads are kind of despair yeah. when their mum wants to go off and do something selfish like work. Or do you know what I mean? We're kind of regarded as the <laughs> that bitch. As, I know, yeah. <laughs> Until you start to like deconstruct all those things, you're still going to have that. Um, mm. I, th- I think in the book I called it like a vagina tax. Basically, everything about you, what you do as a, as a mum is punished in some way, and then everything that you yeah. do about it, uh, if you do exactly the same as a dad, then you're rewarded. And so, and unless unless you deconstruct that, it's it's not going to change as, as much or as quickly as it as it needs to and I think every, everybody suffers from that it's not I mean it's just to fall into things that just happen so it's like blokes not necessarily being on the whatsapp group for the school and it's like well then everything that gets communicated is all <laughs> yeah. you know like that's all the key information I mean confession time I'm not on the school whatsapp group <laughs> what <laughs> hang on <laughs> you have just blown up your whole <laughs> Matt, it's not good enough I think, but it's kind of because of the man versus baby, baby thing, though. I get kind of weird questions and stuff like that. So it's kind of like I have to, um, yeah, I, I kind of avoid it a little bit. I'll, in fairness, I look at it, you know what I mean? But I'll, I'll do it through Lindsay's phone right. rather, than, rather than my own. <laughs> so, do you so have people coming to you with their like problems and stuff? I have people come up to me giving me grief about stuff, whether it's about um, something I might have written about vaccinations or something I've written about, even about tablets and things like that. I've had people literally come and pay to buy a ticket to come to a book event or whatever, and then specifically so they can ask a, an arsey question. Uh, a woman once stood up and asked me if I, if I even like kids, given what I, um, I write a line. But she like hasn't that, read so. your book because you no, write no, a beautiful, like at the end of the second book, you write, a beautiful letter to Charlie that is tear jerking and just conveys like how much you love him. So it's just stupid. It's such an easy. Oh, completely. Yeah. It's, ba- it's basically taking. Guy, yeah, he obviously hates his kids. It goes back to what we started out with, uh, with uh, Prince Louis and that. Like, I mean, you take a snapshot of something and you assume everything about a parent from a snapshot. Mm. And uh, if, if you take one of my posts on face value then then yeah i can understand why you come to the conclusion that maybe i have a problem with kids or whatever but if you read anything in more depth you'll you'll understand that what it is 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 in actual fact those both books are a love letter to charlie they're not mm. crucifying kids or having a, having a problem with babies or toddlers it's just pointing out there could be a massive pain in the ass and they're, they're the greatest thing you'll ever do that you really wish would just fuck off for two minutes sometimes like you mean and that's fine you know <laughs> but yeah and your tedx talk which is all about be more toddler, basically. Again, that shows your love of kids in a way and the way that they think and their brains and everything. Go on, explain the premise of the talk. It was based on the letter, actually, the letter that you talked about at the end of Man versus Toddler. Right. It was a weekend of talks at the University of Nicosia in Cyprus. The subject of the talks was the word unbelievable. So it took me ages to work right. out what I was going to write about. But I came back to that letter and thought about what it is about a toddler that makes them unbelievable. So I did a, like a little bit of research into it and all that sort of stuff. And there were certain things that, things like play, like how um, for toddlers in particular, it's the priority all the time. If they're not eating, they just want to play all the time. And so a lot of the talk was about how 
that's been kind of conditioned out of us as, as adults. Whereas, mm. quite simply, it shouldn't be, because if we think that uh, play is important for toddlers and developing brains and cognitive skills and all that sort of stuff, which it is, it's actually more important that adults find time for play. The um, World Health Organization said something about the, the you know, the, the biggest uh, killer of the 21st century, the, the, our modern day plague is stress. It's of all the things that are going to kill us, and it's particularly in the Western world, it is, it is stress. And play in adults is an absolute silver bullet for it. Whatever, whatever play you enjoy, whether it's sport or table tennis or it's going to the pub or going to a quiz or whatever, making time for that play is just proven. It, it, does, it releases dopamines and endorphins, and it, it, it creates a thing, called, which I didn't know, it creates a thing called BPRD, which is this chemical that uh, slows the onset of dementia. And, uh, and regrows brain cells. And it's the only thing that does. And it is unbelievable to think that of all the ways we have of tackling the greatest plague, toddlers know how to deal with it already because they prioritise play in a way that we've forgotten and just and just binned off completely. Like, I think everyone obviously needs more fun, but I think generally men are a bit better. I don't know if you agree, but Doug will be better at switching off. Like I, like even what if the kids are watching a film, like people are going, oh, have you seen Encanto? It's like, no, I've heard it a million times in the background. But if the kids are watching something, that's my opportunity to run about and do shit, which isn't a good thing. Like he's, I think he's got no. the right idea. But you're better off sitting down with the kids and watching a film or... Yeah, I think I, I think there's something to that idea of compartmentalising in a, in, in a way. So their downtime is their downtime. I mean, I'm fantastic at doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm all the, I'll take every opportunity to sit down and do nothing at all. Yeah. Charlie's at an age where he doesn't allow you to do that. But it's uh, I'm sure it'll get to the point where I can get back to doing nothing again. But I think you're right. I think I'm much more likely to have to remind Lindsay to go and do something and to kind of take that time for for herself and go to the cinema, even if it's on her own to local cinema or whatever. So she has to be reminded to do that, whereas I, I'm kind of out the door with my coat on. And to be honest, that's like you say, that's entirely healthy. Uh, there's certain people yeah. in my life and probably in your life that basically are reset buttons. My best mate, Andy, has been my best mate since I was like, I don't know, probably 30 years or something like that. But it's my reset button. If I don't see I don't see Andy's kind of like once a month and have a beer and, and have a chat like, I mean, I struggle. So you kind of have to grab that time. And if you notice that your partner's not getting that time, then force them out the door to take it. Because if you don't, you're going to cause trouble between yourselves and you're going to cause trouble between you and the kids and stuff like that. That's the one thing I don't have. I don't have any, virtually no parental guilt. And that is, I know, incredibly right. rare, rare for mums. I've never, never really had it. And it's partly because people are kind of giving you a thumbs up for doing the bare minimum so it's hard to get guilty when you're I think kind that's of totally what it is yeah well done yeah it's totally <laughs> that I think it's that expectation thing again it's like oh because actually your own the guilt is meant to tell you if you're doing something wrong like morally wrong or whatever and actually going and seeing a mate who's going to make you feel alive and makes you feel really good is that's not something to feel guilty for but it's because maybe we think that we shouldn't be doing those things because what it's too self-indulgent or it's a weird thing I think I feel it and I push it down like I I know it's not healthy to push down feelings but this one is like I run a business I'm responsible for a team and I go to my warehouse and the kids every now and then will be like oh you're leaving us again and it's like I, I don't need to feel guilty. Like, Doug would never have felt guilty for that. 
you know, and he's here. Yeah. It's not like I'm, we're desert, leaving them. They're, I had to have this conversation with the kids last night because they were moaning that we had to get a babysitter for something. And I was like, me and your dad are always here. We don't have grandparents locally. We don't have nannies. Like we're always here. So every now and then, very occasionally, we have to bring someone else in. And, and the older two are old enough to kind of understand that because I don't need them to make me feel guilty. Like that's not fair Lynn's is much more like to take, take time getting out the door because he's kind of like oh what time are you going to be back are you going to be back before i get to go to sleep will you come and wake me up and all this sort of stuff and she yeah. feels that feels that guilty but i am literally like no <laughs> we're going out so do you know what i mean yeah. he'll get over yeah. it. he'll be fine like and uh i don't feel that guilt at all i feel guilty about everything else i feel guilty about food banks that's probably where, where i pour mine into whereas uh Whereas Lynn's really, really, uh, yeah, struggles a lot more feeling guilty with Charlie, I think. Yeah. I think some of the subjects that you talk about, like you get quite political, you talk about things that are probably traditionally more feminist subjects that I would say quite a lot of men avoid, but you go for. What is it that gives you that confidence, I suppose, to be able to talk about those things? There's a couple of reasons yeah. I think uh, I think I do it. Being that stay-at-home dad, like, it gives you a perspective. I think one of the other reasons I'm comfortable kind of jumping on it is the women in my family, if you know what I mean. It's kind of hard when you're surrounded by women like that not to not to think the disadvantages that they face and still able to to do the the, the things that they do mm. is, is 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 inspirational. It's, there's no there's no other way of talking about. It. So I have enormous respect for the women in my life, basically. So that makes it uh, that makes it easier to talk about this sort of stuff. But one of the main reasons why I do get political and one of the main reasons I do talk about that sort of stuff is because I see what I do online in particular and the books, but what I do online in particular is like a time capsule. At some point, Charlie's going to read this stuff and I care more about him than I do anybody else who will ever live and who has ever lived. On the one hand, I want him to be switched on about this sort of stuff. I've no doubt that he will be, but I do like the idea of him looking back and thinking that his dad was on the right side of history at the time and there's a big wrong side to be on at the minute and if you're on the wrong side of it you'll be on the wrong side of it forever that's one of the reasons mm. i talk about that because as much as it might lose me followers and as much as much it might piss people off i care less about that than the idea that charlie's reading that in mm. 20 years and thinks do you know what my dad was all right i care much more about do you know that. that's really funny because people get really worked up about people posting about their children online or talking about family life online or whatever and it's like but you're right that stuff is so unimportant especially because kids change so much from when so whatever you've said about Charlie when he's two he's going to be a I'd say stand up enough kid when he's 20 to go that was my dad being funny when he's not going to be like oh my god my dad tortured me like people have got it a bit wrong if they think that that's going to have a massive impact but you're right the stuff if they look at it and go oh but he he said some really meaningful stuff and he cared about people who mattered and all those things that's means so much more when, whenever it's kind of makes me hesitate thinking this might upset somebody or this might upset people like you know what i mean that's why i post it straight away before i can think about it anymore because at the point at which i'm yeah. putting it online i've thought about it enough to think this is what I think about it. This is what I care about it. And this is what I'd, I'd like people to know that I think about it. It wouldn't be as relatable to the people that you hit, the stuff that you say that makes people like laugh or cry or whatever it is. You wouldn't be able to do that if you were just being a bit vague and making sure that everybody was okay with what you say. I wanted to ask you about something that I quite regularly post about on Insta, but you're a man. Uh, aware of this. so do, you might have an insight or I don't know but you might do it yourself 
But men do <laughs> weird things at weird times. I can give you some examples. Doug will mow the lawn as we lit. Like the ta- there was one time a taxi pulled up outside to take five of us to the airport and Doug started mowing the lawn right and I'm going apoplectic because I'm like I've packed you know the stress of it and like we've got to get to the airport and all that stuff and he starts mowing the lawn but I've got some really good examples and then and I've I've got hundreds and I save them all because I'm like at some point I'm going to do something with this um trying to herd out everyone out the house to a birthday party my father-in-law has chosen this moment to sell five doors on ebay that he doesn't know the measurements of for a pound <laughs> <laughs> just just what was it oh just leaving for a wedding and my husband goes out to fill the tires of both cars we aren't using either of them for that day um find another one a friend's husband decided to change car insurance while she was in active labour. He couldn't get a signal in the room, so he paced the halls outside talking loudly. <laughs> and similarly, there's loads of labour ones, right? So this makes me think there's something psychological in it. In la- I'm in labour on a birthing ball, and my other half sat um, on a chair in front of me and said, OK, I'm going to change our gas and electricity supplier. It needs to be done. <laughs> there's jet washing wheelie bins when people are in labor putting up shelves decanting cereal just as you're all about to leave for your kids christening like why why do they do this why do you do this matt do you do this i don't do i do that it's avoidance techniques in it i reckon i mean let's take ducks right there's two possibilities either it doesn't want to get involved in the shit of trying to get people out the door and in future I'm going to start mowing the lawn because he's right. That is an absolute shit show trying to get people in a car. Uh, but um, the other possibility is is that uh, is that, I don't want to side with Doug here, but the closer to going on holiday that you mow the lawn, oh my god, <laughs> this is such a <laughs> the, the lower the grass is. So you know what I mean? It's going to go. Did he put it on one? I mean, before, I need more information. Two hours before, <laughs> two hours before would make sense. But the minute, and this is what was it? There was someone else that did one. About to head to the airport, husband needed a mini deodorant for his hand luggage. She went into the bathroom because he hadn't come back and he was clearing out the entire bathroom cabinet, which he'd not done in 36 years of marriage. <laughs> Why do it? A clinical psychologist did message me and she okay. said this behaviour is a way of managing overwhelm. So in an attempt right. to be helpful or useful, but actually it's a strategy that they use, men use to regulate stress or panic. So it makes sense that if you're in labour, partner's in labour, or the stress of going on holiday and maybe everyone's been a bit fraught. But it's so weird because I've honestly got hundreds of messages and they're they're really good for reading, like if you just need a laugh. They are brilliant. A granddad whittled a nativity scene out of an old (laughs) chest of drawers. (laughs) During this Christmas is not while lunch. somebody's in like labour. Trying... <laughs> no, this was Christmas lunch. The whole family are there and they're choosing to whittle stuff out of wood. Why now? Why is that? Well, sometimes when, when it comes to whittling, when inspiration strikes you, you need to... I understand the whittling a little bit more than jet washing me bins. But it's interesting how many of these things are quite noisy, so you can't actually speak to them while they're uh, while they're doing the yeah. The and mowing your lawn, you just keep turning your back, like they're, they're just gone. Yeah, they exactly. can't even see. <laughs> do you feel overwhelmed? I do when I'm when I'm on deadline, but that's the only point at which I really notice how difficult parenting 
can be is when there's something else that's kind of I'm carrying the weight of something else. Right. It, it'd be completely different for you, you, you know, running your own business and, and having people, you know, that you're responsible for and all that sort of stuff. But for me, it's kind of in mm-hmm. such peaks and troughs that I only really feel that overwhelm of parenting when there's something else that comes crush, some, comes crashing. And I on, and now that's really just at deadline times because the rest of the time, in terms of writing and stuff like that, I really, really enjoy it. I just, I just completely zone out and just do my own thing, and I'm just I'm happy as a pig and shit most of the time. But when something else is on is piled on top, that's when parenting seems a lot harder. And I feel myself getting short-tempered with Charlie and stuff like that. And that's probably my only real insight into what it's like to kind of have the overwhelm of, of all the expectation of work and parenting all that all at the same time. And it's not mm. nice. It's not to... I'm not pretty in those couple of weeks, really. It sticks out like a sore thumb because I'm so... I'm so laid back and I'm so... Nothing really phases me like so. When when I, when there's a short period when I'm when I'm like that, everybody notices it, and everybody's like, "What the fuck's wrong with that?" <laughs> That's really interesting because we had a guy, Matt Frey, who has written about marriage, and he was saying that he didn't feel overwhelmed until after his divorce, when he then is having to juggle kids and work. And that's when he started to feel it. And that's when he could then have more empathy for how his ex-wife had felt a lot of the time. So that is a real insight, isn't it? That it's that it's when you're trying to do both at the same time, which probably in most cases is happening more for women. But for you, it's, yeah, when work kicks in. Yeah, it's 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 probably something I should think a lot more about, really. It's just such short periods that I, that I feel that when so many, so many people, in particular, in particular mums, they're uh, dealing with that all the time. You know what I mean? With with mm. like you said, the, the double expectation, the well, the triple, quadruple expectations of uh, work, kids, uh, you know, the societal stuff, guilt, and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what we really do about educating ourselves about that sort of stuff. Really. Do you know? So- I think though, having men who are doing it differently. The only way you can do it is show by example. I think because what we all learned by watching our parents. They will have seen that and they will be learning from that. And that will have more impact than probably anything, I think, for how they will then go and have their relationships and yeah. work balance, everything else. I, I talk about kind of uh, crap dads, basically, in Man versus Toddler. And uh, mm. one of the points I make about that is that you can't judge us too harsh because it's kind of new to us in a way, it's generationally. Yeah. And so we're going to be a bit shit, but... The best that you can hope is that by example or by by instruction that, that Charlie is going to be so much better. Put it this way, at the very, very least, whether he's going to be a good parent or he's going to be a parent at all, he's going to not think it's strange to be uh, to have your dad at home. That's got to be something. It's got to be worth something. So, Our last question, what have you got planned? Summer holidays are coming. Six, seven weeks of fun and activities. <laughs> I'm going to plug uh, Daisy's book, Five Minute Mums. Uh, book because I've, I've just oh, taken yeah, that yeah. away with her. Yeah, I think she's brilliant for a kind of uh, entertainment. Don't ask me. Don't ask me to say anything. <laughs> I've just uh, I've just come back from uh, three weeks, three days away actually, and we took that with us, and it's it's dead good. I'm just going to try and stay keep him alive as usual, and as long as he's kind of you know breathing and dressed during the day, that's a that's a bonus, I think. 
I don't even think dress is a necessity. Like we'll have a well, no, definitely no. be some pajama days. The kids bloody love it. And you're like, oh, okay. Then you're like, well, that saves me doing some washing. Well, it came as a surprise. It came as a surprise to Charlie after after the COVID stuff was over that he has to wear pants now. So it's all kind of <laughs> we've kind of all been wandering around with nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Matt. It's been really lovely to see. I, had, I haven't seen you since 2019. I know. I know. Not since we need to. We need to. We need to get together. We're not seeing each other since another book tour. This well before. Yeah. Can you absolutely. Bash out another book, and then I can come and I'll interview you back for that. I am on it. Am I? I'm just writing my uh, first novel now, which has just been picked up by a publisher. So. Oh, awesome. Okay, tell me when it's coming. Huge thanks to Cocoso Baby for sponsoring this episode and to Matt for being excellent. Um, I think it's really interesting the insight his role as a stay-at-home dad has given him. I mean, it makes sense that it would, but I've really enjoyed talking to some dads who've all been really honest with me about things like whether they feel guilt and how social expectations kind of impact us all so much and just make it all so much harder. Maybe if we understood these things, we could all live a bit more harmoniously. That'd be good, wouldn't it, Doug? Yeah, I think that was one of my favourites. It was great. I think, oh, good. I think um, now we're here, we can be more harmonious because we're not in a car and we haven't got any children. <laughs> um, please do have a look at don'tbuyherflowers.com for Father's Day gifts and any thoughtful gifts you're looking for. Um, we really are very good at what we do, if I do say so myself. And now we're here, I'm going to switch off. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review the podcast. And if you subscribe, you get the ping when we're back with the next series. And there's lots of lovely episodes for you to listen to now if we're having a small break. But stay in touch on Instagram or email podcast at don'tbuyherflowers.com. And I hope everyone is okay. Probably honing ourselves ready for the summer holidays ahead, but we're going to be okay. Doug, any final words? No, take care. (laughs) And we'll say bye. Bye. Bye.